0: today we're going to be talking about heaven and hell. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'll be your host. With me as always, Dr. Jonathan Rose. Thanks so much for coming. Hey Curtis. If you guys have been enjoying this show at all, don't forget, like and subscribe. This is what keeps our channel moving forward. It lets us know that we're doing an okay job based on, you know, the circumstances and everything like that. So much appreciate you guys being here, participating. Leave a comment to how you're enjoying the show, how you like the program. Today we're going to be continuing our journey through the basic nature of everything, mm. and we're going to be focusing specifically on heaven and hell, and are they states of mind, are they places, are they both, and everything else that comes along with that, which is of course a big, a big deal to talk about, relative, of relative consequence to us living in this world. That's right. I don't feel ready. Do you feel ready?
1: Well, we probably need to warm up a little bit, don't you think? Like, uh
0: when you're right, you're right. Let's uh, let's do what we always do every single episode, and do our icebreaker section, so get your fingers out and ready, because we're going to ponder a topic from the world of spirituality. If you've never played this game before, if you're in the YouTube chat right now, just As we answer this question here, we want you all answering it, and answer throughout the show if you'd like, and then at the end of the show we're going to put all your responses up to broadcast to you guys now and to all the people who watch it later, because we'd love to get how do different minds, different conglomerations of love and wisdom process the events in life and the questions that come along with it. So this one, very relevant to today's topic, is the following. How can you tell the difference between heavenly and hellish influence? in your mind? A very Swedenborgian question, because as, uh, I guess this would be a spoiler alert, in heaven and hell and everywhere else he talks about how, yeah, there's heaven and hell, but you're interacting with heaven and hell right now. Today I've had hell trying to affect me. I've had heaven trying to lift me up. That heaven and hell, where we really see them and feel them, is in the sight of our mind. The concepts and the way we think about them, the feelings the way we have, that's heaven and hell tug of warring. So, but which is which? How do you know? What do you think?
1: Well, I, I can hardly think of a more important question because um, if you can't tell the difference, you could be deceived and misled, and it yeah. happens a lot. Any, you know, it, it happens all the time. It's happening to me right now. But uh, being able to tell what's active on you yeah. seems very important. And I've been so helped by some things that Swedenborg says uh, to try to evaluate what kind of message it is. So one thing is what is the message's relationship to time? Meaning how urgent is it? How demanding is it huh. that someone ha- something has to happen right now? Okay. Because generally, hell is more right now-ish. Not that heaven can't be urgent about things, but there's a something about, oh, your whole life will be over if something doesn't happen in the next five minutes. You know, right. That's kind of a hell sort of, you know, Tagline, you well, know?
0: and let's pick that apart a little bit. Both because of the, you know, heaven being more distance from space and time, and having the long, eternal view, but also because heaven is true, and talking about the way God runs the universe, God doesn't set it up so that you can mess your whole life up in a moment, right? And in a, pr- yeah, in a high-pressure it's, situation,
1: it's, yeah, it's not true that life and death hang entirely on whether you get to eat that thing that you really want to eat in the next yeah. five minutes or something. Or whether this <laughs> yeah. episode
0: goes well or not.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the time factor is one factor. Um, uh, let's see. There's also, um, uh, related to that is uh, how pushy is the message? Hmm. But heaven is generally very leave you in freedom-ish in my experience, you know, yeah. uh, to coin a phrase. Um, in other words if it's just hey you know here's an idea you know if something comes in like you could give such and so to so and so you know or you could write someone an email with this type of message or something yeah. but it's not like you have to use this word and tell them right you know yeah. uh, it it's got a different kind of sense about it that that preservation of of freedom and uh another hallmark is like how do I feel about myself in the face of this message? Because generally the hell stuff to me is like beating me down like I'm stupid or I'm missing an opportunity or I've been horrendous or everybody else is better or something like that. Yeah, right, whereas the heaven kind is actually things are wonderful and you could even do this for someone or you know kind of feeling yeah but it's hard i say that sort of glibly but it's hard to i mean it's taken me ages but but it's <laughs> but it's uh you know it's not easy to tell the difference in the heat of the moment
0: no because both work through your own mind so it, i don't find that there's a distinct voice that you can hear that sounds like satan or that exactly. sounds like angels
1: yeah, the, the voice, the, it sounds the same, like, like the tone will sound very, it, even you can have two or three ideas, It's happened to me before, you get two or three ideas in your mind, and, and two of them are wonderful and heavenly, and that, but that one in the middle, <laughs> it's like, yeah. who stuck that in there? And they come in the same sort of thought pattern, they, they sound the same to yeah. you, it's only by seeing where is this thing going, what's its purpose? You know, where does it want to take yeah. me, or where does it want to take somebody else? You know, what is it leading to? Is it going down or going up? And,
0: and uh... I definitely move, fluctuate between periods of being unable to tell anything about any phenomena in my mind, to feeling very lucidly aware. It's almost comical at times. This is this is so obviously hell, as described by Swedenborg, right, right. versus heaven. And I think there is, uh, pretty often, there's just a litmus test in how the message feels coming in. Right away, a thought or feeling is it can be accompanied by this drop in your stomach that is fear or anxiety or whatever it is, I, yeah. and, and, and other things come in with a lift. Or,
1: or some sort of lust or, or earthly desire, or, you know, something that's... Right, that that suddenly shifts your state out of where you were to some lower level.
0: Right. Well, and that brings up an important point, which is there's sort of the for and against me hell, that there can be hell that's trying to get me worked up about ego concerns, and that can Ah, can go well when things are going well for my ego. That's when I have to use my mind, when I have to think about what's the nature of this that I'm getting revved up about is this actually something compatible with this state of mutual love and humility that makes heaven But that's when it's in a sort because of, it's in line with my affections, So I don't mind it so I'm excited by it, but I can tell oh wait, that's hell yeah. But then the, when it's against me emotionally you can feel that right away because right. you have to check if you're gonna Come into the club of Curtis's mind whatever it's like to go into a club at the door This is the idea you have to show why are you here? What's your purpose? That's right. Swedenborg will talk about different actions. Be, can, the same action, I mean, could be heavenly or hellish, depending on what the intent is. That's and right. If you, if you take any particular impulse or idea or emotion and put it in context, you know, take it out of its context and look at it, what is it trying to accomplish? Even if it's trying to argue a point that seems true, what happens if it wins the argument? What's its, what's its manifesto after that? Usually it's this and this and this are true, so don't you feel miserable? And if that's right. the point of it to make you feel miserable, if it's a non-constructive point, then I think it's hell. Of course, this is a conversation we can continue forever. We want to know what you think mm-hmm. about it. Uh, and it's a continually evolving conversation. It's really what you're building towards through all of the reading of Swedenborg, including Heaven and Hell, which we're about to get to, is trying to develop your state of perception to tell these apart, because once you can tell them apart, that's, that was one of the defining features of Swedenborg's spiritual awakening. That's right. He could tell them apart. He could look, and that was his power.
1: he yeah. could really start to see where it was coming from.
0: So hey, we're talking a lot about heaven and hell. Let's get into heaven and hell and learn more about heaven and hell. Ready? So I said that we're moving through the basic nature of everything. And the way we we thought about, as we were starting this year, how would you do that? How would you move through? Because Swedenborg describes so much of life. And how would you give a practical summary of all that? Mm. And you thought you could go topically. What would you do? But then you realize Swedenborg himself took a stab at that in releasing these different books. Yeah. And that if we went through each book and looked at the content, and really not even the book, but the message behind it, we could get... A, a summary of all the most important things about life so today we're doing the book heaven and hell
1: yeah and this is this is fun to me because um s- some authors and they're, they're wonderful authors but they'll write a similar kind of book every time they write a book yep but swedenborg didn't really i mean they, they they change in size. They also change in the focus and the topic, even the format, yeah. uh, the way that he's doing things and stuff like that changes from, from one volume to another. And so uh, it's kind of fun to look at it through this lens of, of what is this particular book doing?
0: Yeah, and what's it doing? What's it tell us? What's the message behind the book? And mm. so let's. this is Swedenborg's most recognizable, most popular book. Am I right? Tell me a little bit about Heaven and Hell.
1: Yeah, let's have a look at this. This is the NCE Deluxe New Century Edition <laughs> Deluxe um, paper copy, which yeah. has the um, notes and introductions and that sort of thing. You'll see the portable in a little bit. And um, Heaven and Hell. Let me read the long title to you. Sure. Because these things have longer titles uh, than just Heaven and Hell is kind of an abbreviation in a way, and the longer title tells you something.
0: Impress your friends at parties with that fact.
1: Yeah. Heaven and its wonders and hell. So I'll pause right there. We're not even done the title yet. But it's interesting that heaven gets more of a description than hell.
0: Hmm.
1: Heaven and its wonders and hell. So in the title Heaven and Hell, the way we often refer to it, it gives hell a little more weight than it has in the original title, where it's a smaller kind of part of it. Heaven and its wonders and hell. And then he adds, drawn from things heard and seen. I would now, that's, that's a pretty potent title in terms of like, hey, from someone who's been there, you know, yeah. this is cool. It's a cool book.
0: He's, he's using that as a selling point. This is not theology that I cooked up because I went to a monastery for a while and really felt this was true. This is a travelogue of, whether you believe it or not, the places I've been. Yeah, that's right. So, with that said, what, that's the title of the book. What's in the book? We're going to play a, a series of little games here to try to get at the nature mm. of this and how it can help us in our own spiritual journey. So, first of all, what's the headline? What If you had to summarize what's going on in Heaven and Hell, what is the news being broken with this book?
1: Um, I would say, after death, we go to what and who we love the most. Now, you wouldn't be able to use your 84-point type on that. You know, it's a bit long for yeah. a headl- headline. A lot of W's in there. But I think that, <laughs> you know, after death, we go to what and who we love the most.
0: I love it. That's, that's
1: a way that I might summarize. It. How, how would you?
0: In When we were going over this to sort of rehearse this episode, it was occurring to us that This is almost harder to write a headline for this book than The Sprawling Secrets of Heaven, because there's so many potential headlines. There's what you just said. There's uh, a description of life after death. There is heaven and hell are both places and states of mind, but they're states of mind that cause places in the afterlife. It could be... I like it. Here's the progression you'll go through after you die. Yep. There are so many headlines and so many sub-headlines. There's a lot of news being broken. In this book. Beyond the NDE or... Uh, yeah. That's right. Right. A lot of a lot of titles. Well, so what's in it? Let's take a look between the covers to see what, what would you encounter if you were to foolishly mm. open up this book. Yes. This is the table of contents.
1: And it's pretty... So you, you have... Just your, a section of it. It's actually got 63 little chapters in yes. there. And they're quite brief, which makes it very readable, I think, where they're just... Page or two, yep. you know, kind of thing, and and uh, this is cool. and this is just jumping into like chapter thirteen to twenty three right there.
0: Yes, and it's cool because it shows how specific he gets. Yet there's some counterintuitive chapters there as well. You get things like. The sun in heaven, light and warmth in heaven, how the state of angels change. Then things like time in heaven, space in heaven. Mm. So everything from, yeah, of course you want to know what kind of houses, if you look at 21, what houses do angels live in. But space in heaven, would you, if you were going to be able to ask God about heaven, would you ever think of that? How does space work in yeah, heaven? Yeah, how does
1: space work? But right. it's,
0: it shows that it's a comprehensive description of not just the appearance of things, but the nature of things.
1: Yeah, that's right. Right, And that last one there heavens form which is not the end of the book sure But that's just the, the 23rd chapter heaven's form which determines how people associate and communicate there There's some kind of structure of the whole thing That's what brings like-minded people together yeah. and separates people who have difference of you know extreme difference of opinion and that kind of thing. you
0: can't do a dry description of the afterlife. You can't just say this is the static, very similar to what you experienced version, because it's, you, in describing the fundamental things like how people associate there, you have to include that that leads to how they communicate. It's just a very cool world yeah. like, that you're going into. So, that, so that's, that's it. Why, why do we have it in the first place? Why did he publish this when in his timeline? Was it coming up? Ah, why Let's and when? Let's contextualize good,
1: heaven and good hell. questions. These are fun We're, we're trying games. to use
0: all of the question words. Good,
1: good. All, all of our Ws. Okay, so here... We, I've got a truck out back. We, we, we will not run <laughs> out of Ws.
0: What? So this is like Sesame Street. Okay, so, so wh- where does
1: this appear in the timeline? Okay. Uh, he started publishing his theological works in 1749, and this one came in 1758. Yeah. And most of what he'd written before that was Secrets of Heaven, which we talked about in our last episode. Right. And so, Heaven and Hell. There was a one-year gap where he didn't publish in 1757, and then Heaven and Hell was the first thing out in 1758. Yeah. And he did four other books in 1758, all published in London. And uh, Heaven and Hell. Uh, there's some evidence from his letters that his publisher wrote to him and said, "We only sold four copies in two months," and he sort Burned. of what you know. I only got an 11 or something. And uh, uh, I think it was frustrating to him that it wasn't selling more because he wanted so badly. He wasn't getting any money out of it. He would just let people, uh, he would let the bookseller keep all the proceeds from the volume. And he sold it very inexpensively, even though it was printed on expensive paper. Uh, So he wasn't looking for any cash himself. You
0: can't give this stuff away. But
1: he wanted people to engage with it. You know, here they are, Secrets of Heaven, and it wasn't moving. So I think he was thinking, how do I do, you know, what's my next move? And so he thought, well, I'll extrapolate certain principles, and surely a key one is what happens to us after death. Isn't everybody curious? And uh, in the uh, theology of his day, there were a lot of ideas about that you would go into the ground and you'd just be there till the last right. judgment then you rise up out of the grave and uh, you know all those kind of ideas were, were running around and he was uh, disturbed that people were getting the wrong idea about the
0: afterlife well this this actually will tie right into our next section where we're going to do something called first and last mm. which you get a sense of a book from what comes at the beginning and oh we're going to ruin you the end for you but i do i think we're going to pull out the first and last so w- how does it open
1: that's it. It actually opens with an author's preface, and then he gets into some of these very things I was talking about—biblical passages right. that talk about uh, the end of times and the, or, or what happens uh, afterwards. And and uh, so at the end of that number, this is section number one, the very beginning of it. At the end of that, it goes on for a couple pages. Sure. So I'm skipping to the end because this kind of, to me, sums up the key kind of opening statement. Church people, he's talking about Christians of various different stripes, church people these days know practically nothing about heaven and hell or their life after death, even though there are descriptions of everything available to them in the Word, meaning the Bible. Interesting statement. Yeah. And he says, uh, in fact, many who have been born in the church deny all this. There was a lot of, deny, as there is now, a lot of sense, well, it's probably not really a life after death. Is, Is that a thing? Right. In their hearts, they are asking, "Who has ever come back to tell us about it?" You
0: still get that today.
1: I know it's true. It's it's a basic kind of yeah. denial, is to say, "Well, I, you know, my loved one just disappeared. Maybe there's nothing there." And then he says, "To prevent this negative attitude," and then he says, "Where this thing is particularly coming from, this ad- attitude, especially prevalent among people who have acquired a great deal of worldly wisdom." Rot row. Yeah. That's right. That so would be people, people of learning, uh, theologians yeah. at the top of doctors the, you know, of doctors theology of theology, Latin, whatever. whatever you are. That's right. Yeah. From infecting and corrupting people of simple heart and simple faith. <laughs> no no, no, It has been granted to me to be with angels and to talk with them person to person. Now I'm being allowed, therefore, describe what I've heard and seen. So what he's heard from the mouths of angels and what he's seen for himself in that other world, in the hopes of shedding light where there's ignorance and of dispelling skepticism. That's
0: what he wanted to do in the book. And if you flip all the way to the end, after everything we learned about heaven and hell and the world of spirits, he says, what I've been saying in this book about heaven, the world of spirits and hell, will be obscure to people who find no delight in knowing about spiritual truths. But it will be clear to people who do have this delight, especially to people involved in an affection for truth for its own sake, that is, people who love truth because it's true. Anything that is loved enters into the concepts of our minds with light, especially when what is loved is true, because all truth is in the light. Or, in other words, if you don't like my book, you've got to get a <laughs> more <your> spiritually involved. <laughs> okay. You've got to
1: work on yourself a little bit. <laughs> Enough. Because you should like it.
0: Enough about the book. Let's dig in. What's the message in there? What can we learn about the nature of reality that applies to everyone who does or does doesn't read this book? Let's take a look at a couple mm. of quotes. All right. This is our three-bite section where we try to give you three samples of the spiritual food that you'll find in the book Heaven and Hell. Our first one is about heaven. and ah. This comes from 51 and 53. The reason each community is a heaven, and this is a good representative of how quickly we move from description to the inner meaning, oh. is in smaller form and each angel a heaven in smallest form, and that the activity of love and faith is what makes heaven.
1: This is one of his sort of signature points in the book, is that it's not just heaven, it's not just big one big blobby thing. Yes. E- each community is really a whole heaven even each individual is like a whole heaven and so that's what he's saying there partly
0: yep meaning you guys this good activity is in every community of heaven and in every angel of a community it does not matter that this activity is different and distinctive everywhere it is still the activity of heaven ah so there's
1: a variety all across heaven all kinds of variety
0: but there's still a core thing that makes it help. Another key feature of Swedenborg, that you can have a unity in diversity. That's right. For heaven is not outside angels, but within them. What? Yeah, state of mind that causes place rather than the other way around. Mm. Their deeper levels, the levels of their minds, are arranged in the form of heaven, and therefore are arranged to accept all the elements of heaven that are outside them. So we go right into, like, we're that talking about the mind. Such and such a cool up, idea. It. These elements, they accept according to the quality of the goodness that is within them from the Lord. As a result, an angel is also a heaven.
1: So you have a kind of microcosm thing in there, do you not? That, that, uh, and that's the problem with the idea. He talks about the fact that some people thought, oh, well, I'll just walk in the door you know if heaven's there i'll just go in yeah. and not understanding that what you have in your mind in your heart affects how much you're going to enjoy that experience and yeah. what i was seeing in that passage right there was that really if you've been allowing the lord to lead you over time Bit by bit, this heaven is developing in you that enables you to connect with the heaven outside of you in various ways. And that's why Jesus says in the New Testament, the kingdom of heaven is within you. Uh, You know, that's where it has to be. If it's not in you, you're not going to enjoy being there.
0: Didn't we start this show by asking, how do you see heaven and hell in your mind? Part of what Swedenborg is doing in this book is saying, you can pursue this state of mind now. Mm. You can have your mind, which is already spiritual, opening up to heaven. It doesn't need to be that you're there, in the traditional sense, to start this journey.
1: There's another headline. Don't wait
0: to go to heaven. I love it. All All
1: right. right, let's go to another bite. Okay, another bite. This one would be about the world of spirits. Now, what is the world of spirits? Well, he describes it here. He says that there's this sort of area where... Uh, everybody goes or most everybody goes shortly after they die where people get sorted out and here's how he describes it the world of spirits is neither heaven nor hell but it is in the afterlife it is in the spiritual world but a place or state between heaven and hell it is where we first arrive after death the world of spirits is a place halfway Remember that word place? Yes. Halfway between heaven and hell. And it's also our own halfway state after death. What does he mean by a halfway state? A state halfway between heaven and hell. Yeah. As long as we are in it, in that state, and in that place, we are not yet in either heaven or hell. A state of heaven for us is the union of what is good and true within us. That's a very non geographical description and, of what heaven is,
0: right? And a non box checking morality. The state of heaven is you found favor with God because you said a particular prayer, you did you all the right things, belonged or something to a particular like club. This is a technical, this is a, describing a technical mm. state of the uh, elements of your consciousness.
1: Right. A good heartedness and some kind of true insight got together in your mind. And a state of hell is a union of what is evil and false within us. When the good in a spirit person, and a spirit person is just the term that he's using for you or me right after we died, sure. you know, the, the, you're a person, but you're now called a spirit. When the good in a spirit person is united to the true, in other words, truth and goodness are getting together in your mind, then that individual arrives in heaven because, as already stated, that union is heaven within us. It's more about a state than a place.
0: It's not that you get into heaven when the gate is open. This is all about the spiritual world runs on what's inside. So it's when an
1: inside. Another headline. It's an inside job. It's
0: an inside job. On
1: the other hand, when the evil is united to the false within us, then we arrive in hell because that union is hell within us. The process of union, and I like that word process there, yeah. it's not a king, no, boom, oh, done, yep. oh, zoop, done. No, it's a process. The process of union takes place in the world of spirits because then we are in a halfway state.
0: Ooh, that's deep. And you, you, get a description of the world of spirits that leads you to a, a description of heaven and hell, which leads you to a description of your own mind and leads you to a description of your own path towards getting a unified mind. And some people right. might even wonder, why is it that here in this world there's no obvious heaven and hell? It's just all kind of a mix. Some things are better and worse. Why would you... isn't it artificial to have this great distinction there? But the way he's describing it is it's, it's all about there's, there's finally a unity of what's good and true or what's evil and false. That naturally causes this state division. It's just like a chemical reaction where by the time it finishes you have these two elements that gravitate together. It's all reminiscent of the kind of, it's not an arbitrary separation by outside forces. It's its more right. like physical things automatically gravitating towards where they fit. That's, this is how the spiritual world works.
1: Occasionally I hear people talk about, well, they talk the talk, but do they walk the walk? And this yep. is kind of like getting your walk and your talk together. Yeah. Would that be a way of uh, of expressing the them, most think, elegant it, way? Yeah, it, it or it's like, okay, you've got a mind full of this. Now, are you practicing it in your life? Or you're, you're very good-hearted, but your head has some crazy thinking yeah. in it. You know. So that's the kind of sorting that goes on in the world of spirits, to straighten that out. And once those two come together, you, it's not like you move from a to b it's not primarily about moving to somewhere it's just this happens and then oh you are in heaven you yeah. know that's heaven
0: and the, that sorting process makes life better for what this regardless of where you're going if you're going to heaven if you're going to the state of mind that's called hell you're happier evil is happier with falsity than evil with truth uh, yeah. good is it's happier a with a lot truth of than conflict
1: up to that point yeah it's intense because Everyth- there are things that oppose each other
0: right everything is done for our best benefit as we're about to see in this next number which talks a little bit about hell. We're not going to go there, are we? Heaven and hell, 536. Mm. The whole government of the heavens is in the Lord's hands. Yeah, I guess so. Since the relationship of heaven to hell and of hell to heaven is like that of two opposites that act act against each other, the action and reaction of which yield the state of equilibrium within which everything exists, in order for absolutely everything to be kept in this balance, it is necessary that the ruler of the one be the ruler of the other as well
1: wait a minute i would think that if you were going to have a heaven and a hell that were in balance you'd have a god of heaven and you'd have a separate equal god of hell but he fooled me a little bit at the end there all of a sudden it's like oh no for that balance to exist you got to have one you can't have two different bosses who are fighting each other that is
0: unless the same lord controlled the attacks of the hells and restrained their madness the balance would be destroyed And if the balance were destroyed, everything else would go.
1: Ah, because hell naturally kind of would like to (laughs) break that boundary or something, right?
0: You think everything, everything physically operates under the same set of principles. In biological ecosystems, every different species has to play by the same rules, and it's only through that that you get this sort of ecosystem homeostasis that lets all these different species survive. So you have a similar principle in heaven and hell that this whole thing has to run in the same code in order for there to be any kind of positive coexistence.
1: To stop hell from being an invasive species, the Lord has to be in charge of the whole process.
0: Yep. We may be sure that there is some evil opposite to everything good and some falsity opposite to everything true from the fact that nothing exists without a relationship to its opposite the opposite enables us to know its actual nature and level. Opposition is the source of all perception and sensation. And you just segue Mm. so effortlessly from a description (laughs) of the external state of hell into this is opposites, the nature of how you think about things, the nature of how things are built. It's all one. And he's saying it's all one in that God is pulling the strings on this entire thing, and what Swedenborg maybe his most shocking headline in Heaven and Hell, especially in the context of the day he put it out, is God is trying to make people in Heaven happy. God is trying to make people in hell happy. Hell is the happiest place you can go if you love evil things. Heaven mm. is the happiest place you can go if you love good things. That the point of the reason God rules both is that both are trying to do the same thing, which is minimize suffering and increase happiness That's right. for everyone. But if you love evil and falsity, you just need a different set of parameters. You need a different environment, yeah. So and, and you can't that.
1: stand being in the presence of the... No. G- yeah, right. You it's, wouldn't want to.
0: It's dumb. It, it, right. bur- it burns. That's what they yeah. actually say, I guess, too. Yeah. How's all that, guys? If you may be wondering—hopefully you're not wondering this question at at this point, but we'll see if you are—how can it help? Why are we still doing this book? What You, NCE, are still publishing Heaven and Hell. What do you feel like Heaven and Hell can give the human race?
1: Yeah, I think uh, in some ways Heaven and Hell is the easiest one to answer this for, of Swedenborg's works, in the sense that boy without it the lights would really go out you know I mean you get a lot of information about the afterlife in his other books but heaven and hell is the clearest in a way the simplest I'm not saying it's all just really easy light reading sure. beach reading or something but it's uh but it's quite hey, accessible. Do you,
0: know that my, sorry, you said beach reading. I have a copy of Divine Providence that's just huge and thick because it got hit by a wave once <laughs> on the beach. <laughs> it got, I was beach reading. reading. <laughs> okay. That's sorry. Right. sorry.
1: That's really awesome. And Heaven and Hell is uh, his most popular book. Yeah. I think the title is sort of the clearest of what you get from the contents. And everybody's interested in life after death. And interested is, is a pale word it, when you've lost somebody. Mm-hmm. You really are feel desperate to know what's going on with them. People sometimes also wonder what's going to happen to me. What yeah. is it like to die? Uh, what's the point of all this? You know, all those kind of things. And what a phenomenal book for answering those questions.
0: I've I've heard people that are watching our show or are exposed to Swedenborg's ideas through it talk about the comfort that. Heaven and Hell gave them in imagining the life of their loved ones as a tangible thing Some of this details of what their experience is that, that can really matter and I would say that I really love the the book Heaven and Hell And it is a book that is not you may think oh Curtis has been reading Swedenborg for quite some time He's probably done with Heaven and Hell by now because it's introductory. It's light oh, fear. It's you
1: move on after
0: all. There is so much of value even beyond the descriptions of heaven and hell. I remember that for a couple of videos for this channel, I, long ago I had to give a talk about heaven and hell. I remember reading through there and just feeling like, I haven't even read any of this. There's so much new information. We've been doing some episodes of news from heaven on mm-hmm. innocence out of that and, and, and correspondence. And it just seems like even though it's, you can move through it, it is so dense in novel ideas and in things yeah. that, that connect dots that you never thought you could connect before. There is so much in there that you can, and it goes so far beyond the realm of just describing a world that you might get to someday. It talks all the time about how to how to get at the question in the beginning. What's heaven and hell like in your own mind, and how do you get to That's heaven right. now?
1: And so a, a question that comes out of that that I've been wondering for a long time, and I agree with you, I've still, it's a tremendously deep, wonderful book. Recently reread the whole thing again and just got a lot out of it. And um, uh, the question is sort of, what can i do today to take a little step closer to heaven yeah you know what what's something that i can do in my life with these little incremental knowing that it's a gradual process over a lifetime what's something i can do today so it does have that practical uh yeah. even though it's a book ostensibly about another place in another time or something yeah uh, it, it hits home
0: and we're not selling we're not doing a sell job right now you can download the whole book for free Go to Swedenborg.com, you can get Heaven and Hell absolutely free of charge. You can get all Swedenborg books free of charge. So it's just about like, hey, this was awesome for me. Hopefully it's awesome for you. We're going to find out if we've been doing an awesome job explaining Mm. this because we're going to do our Q&A. So if you're in the chat room, get some questions ready and we'll do our best to answer them right now. Like last week, this is a complex call for questions because not only do we want the kind of questions that are regular questions that we do our best to answer but probably just raise more questions as we talk about them. <laughs> we also want your, your uh, ideas for elevator pitch. You remember that game from last week? Mm. What's, a sw- what's a topic in Swedenborg could be anything. Could I don't want to give examples because then I'll give it away. But some facet of the worldview that you would love to hear explained in one minute ah. under strictly controlled conditions. So, <laughs> you give us two of them. We'll pick two of those. I'll try to answer one in a minute and convince Jonathan Rose of its value on a one minute elevator ride. And he'll do the same. It's going to be hilarious. Mm. But a good exercise in explaining these complex, weird, but helpful Swedenborg things quickly. So get your elevator pitch ideas, just like a little phrase or one word. Subject but also, what are your questions about regular question stuff? Is that confusing enough? We'll see if anyone's asked a question by now. Questions first, elevator pitch second. Here's a question. Josta 356 asks, can a past on relative hang around you and actually be a negative energy around you? My first thought about this is, doesn't Swedenborg talk a lot about meeting people that he had known in the spirit, in, in the life of the body? who had then died, and he meets them in the spiritual world. Didn't he talk about a woman who had had some kind of uh, attraction to him, but then got mad at him, or something, uh, snubbed, something like that, it, in the afterlife? Is this ringing a bell? Was trying to It was the
1: first thing that jumped to my mind.
0: Kill him. <laughs> with
1: the spiritual knife. I couldn't believe you were saying that, because it was the same thing pop, popped into my I head.
0: Simple-hearted well. simple Curtis knew yeah. about such a thing. So <laughs> <laughs> that would be... And I don't know if everybody has that clear a connection to people who have passed on, if they're that visible like Swedenborg was, because he had this open communication with both worlds. But to him, there were many people who he had known in physical life, who were trying to do him a lot of harm, but luckily he was protected by heaven and by the Lord. That's
1: right. And, and uh, in that particular instance, if I'm not mistaken, uh, this spirit had been with him, who had been a person in his life, yeah. and was angry with him or resentful or something like that. She passed on, went to the other world. He didn't know anything about the other world yet you know, other than just your normal sort of Christian upbringing or something like yeah. that. But he, he didn't really have the ideas that he had later. And I think during that time, she would repeatedly, every time he was around a knife, he would get weird and think, well, I should stick that in myself. I should, yeah. you know, I should stab myself or, yeah. you know, and it was just so hide the, you know, scissors and everything kind of thing. And, um, and only after his spiritual eyes were opened, he realized, so that was you, you were telling me to you know <laughs> that was, I, I wondered what that was that's the yeah. way I, I read the passage anyway yep. that, that uh, so that would say absolutely, you know, even before his spiritual eyes were opened, oh yeah. there was a negative influence right. from someone on him right. that was really affecting his life, making him uncomfortable and stuff like that, and he, he didn't do it, but, but um, you know yeah. it, it, was, it was uncomfortable. I've heard of, of people who, um, I, I think our friend uh, Jerry Mazinski talks about someone who, who had a very, very difficult uh, kind of criminal parent or something, who then passed on and then was even more present and in, in their mind sort of raining fire yeah. on them and negativity and stuff like that. So unfortunately, I think they can be a negative energy around us. And then the question is how do you protect yourself from that or, yeah. or how do you just you know stop inviting it or
0: something and again We're not medical doctors on this show. So I just for entertainment purposes. Well, just that, okay, we, we have some, some what seem like data points. Swedenborg describes this encounter if we're taking him at his word for it. Right. I don't know how that transfers on to the general public. It seems like we're just, we know s- these few little snippets, right. but that seems to indicate that. I just want to say, like, that we're not gurus. Like, we're not going to know for you what's going on That's right. with this particular energy. We just can tell you what Swedenborg said and give our uh, opinions.
1: And based on that, we think. Yes, I think that is in the realm of like it, possibility. It seems like it. Yeah, it what could, to do about it? We have no idea.
0: Just, just, uh, well, it, it comes along with the question of heaven and hell in the mind, you know, and what's that's right. Trying to more and more the overall thing of
1: yeah, turning away from that or right. turning to something positive. Yeah. I d-
0: adopt the state of heaven, which is love, doing what's good because it's good, be humble. Um, that's right. Look for the good in other people. Uh, identify negative things in yourself and try not to do them because they're harmful. That's the ki- more and more our life is focused that's on really It may be a long-term remedy, but yeah. that's a long-term, that, that's, that's a good one. But that decreases the, vul- that mindset doesn't sound super vulnerable to me. So. Yeah. Okay, that's a that, great one. question. That, that's our thoughts. Uh, let's see the next one. Robin Evolved asks, I wonder if you can commit suicide and make it to a heavenly realm. And we once did a, a Swedenborg minute about this. And it's hard this is a tough question because there's sort of two there's two sides to it. The one side is the grieving loved ones of someone who's committed suicide. And those people are told by a number of religious traditions if you've committed suicide you're automatically going to hell. You can't make it. There's a right. that's that's a, that's a stamp on your passport. You will never be able to get to heaven. And so these people are left not only dealing with the complex emotions around a suicide, right. the grief and the anger at the person for doing it, all everything that mm. comes with someone killing themselves, But then also this uh, theological grief, layer this kind of eternal. I'm never going to see them again, it. and yeah. thinking, oh, if I'd only stopped them from. Com-. So to those people, I want to say, there's no single action that's an automatic ticket to hell or heaven. It right. has to do with your motivations for an action. It has to do with who your whole, you are becoming over your whole life, rather than in a moment of despair and weakness. So that, I want to say that. But then on the flip side, I don't want to say, yeah, just do it. It'll be fine. Because you don't want to give people this feeling like, oh, suicide isn't out. Which will get, I can still go to heaven. What's it matter? Because suicide is always not the right thing, I don't think. Because you have all this damage that you got, and i 've known people who have committed suicide, yeah, yeah. you leave behind right. this incredible devastation, and also we uh, there was this thing in Swedenborg's Spiritual Diary about the reasons why we're alive on this earth, that you're providing use right. to spirits and angels, you're providing right. use to yourself, you're providing use to your own regeneration. Uh, I don't remember what the fourth one was, but if you're here, there's something good that's happening. So we don't need, if you're still here, you're here for a reason.
1: Right, and nothing takes the Lord by surprise. So uh, he he realized, you know, like as this is unfolding, he, he sort of knows what, what's going on and everything. Um, and everybody is a welcome welcome to the spiritual world yes uh, uh you know loving arms and and taking people in and and working with them and everything um uh but it's true i my own personal sense is that i don't think heaven ever tells you to yeah Take your own life. Right. Like, heaven tends to try to sustain you through difficult yeah. experiences and things like that. I, I, I could be wrong, but well, you know.
0: there is that Swedenborg only mentions suicide like a few times, but one right. of them is in the journal of spiritual experiences, where he talks about someone who had killed himself with a knife, and in the afterlife, they couldn't get the knife out of there. Couldn't hand. get the knife out so of it their Seems head. A,
1: some sort of obsession or some kind of yeah. yeah. Right. And that's
0: all. He just mentions it briefly, but it would seem to me that right. If you think I'm going to free myself from psychological right. conditions in this world, psychological conditions are still there in the next world. It right. could well be that you compound your problems by doing it. Yeah, but
1: for, 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 yeah that, that's the way I've taken it for myself personally. Is like, you know, those things f- cross my mind from time to time, but, you know, extreme despair or something. Yeah. And the thought that always answers is like, it's not a solution. <laughs> it doesn't solve yeah. anything. Yeah, know, that that's the that's the way that uh, the situation is not going to change. If anything, yeah. it's going to become more intense or something. You know? Yeah, so just ride it out and try to get to a different place. And
0: hell is will try to convince you like there's no hope. this yeah. is, this is the difference between heaven and hell. There's no hope. Things that are relatively, in the grand scheme of things, don't matter. No, they matter so no, much. Never, be
1: good. Ne- never will be good. Never be good. Never be good again. That's what,
0: that's how hell talks. Right. Heaven doesn't talk like that. And reality right. is not like that. Right. I've been in all kinds of places where I was totally miserable. And hey, look, here I am. Now I'm only mildly miserable yeah. right, right here giving it's this great, show. the
1: progress. Um, that, that simple heart and faith those, are,
0: faith. those are a couple of our thoughts on that. Is that only your second question? That's only two. Let's do, let's do one more. Life and Health Needs asks, can you elucidate what Swedenborg has to say about the effect of developing the virtue of the fear of God on our soul?
1: Hmm. Holy fear. fear. Holy fear. Go, go ahead. Hi, fear. I, I talked
0: a lot in the last one. I feel like I'd hmm. love to hear what your, what your thoughts are on this.
1: I like there's a beautiful thing that Swedenborg says. He he points out that in the Bible, a lot of times when angels appear, people kind of collapse or fall on their faces and that type of thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, they're just overwhelmed. And he says that's a state of holy fear, and that's really important because that actually kind of renders your lower self kind of quiescent in a way. It yeah. sort of paves the way for a spiritual experience, this transcendent experience that you have that you first of all go into this state of humility instead of sort of like, who said? You know, the angel walks in and says, I am the angel, and you say, who said? Yeah. You know, the angels don't get that response yes. because they're sort of a, oh, 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 you know, you're trembling, <laughs> and, and then, okay, and they lift you up and then, then tell you things. And and um, so, uh, and I love that quote that the, f- is it the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom or something like that, that there's that's uh, there, more? there's something good. I think that's in the Proverbs. I'm not uh, sure. Okay, but right, right. But, um, Uh, I think that holy fear is, he talks about different kinds of fear. There's a paralyzing kind of fear that can take over, that can shut down your inner self and sort of imprison the mind, sort of like a terrible anxiety attack or something like that. You're not in a state of freedom in that. But the holy fear is this reverence and humility before something greater than ourselves. Yeah. And I think that's a great... uh, Spiritual state, you know, it's an important state. That
0: we're yeah, well, that just reminded me of a description of different kinds of fear that he gives, and he gives it in relation to married couples, and that you can have a fear of the spouse, ah. which means, oh, I, I know if I leave my socks here, they're going to get mad at me, so I'm afraid of <laughs> having to deal with that response, so I'm going to do Terrible. it. And that's that's so sort of this negative kind of fear, but there's a good kind of fear, which is fear of harming them.
1: You do not want to hurt the
0: person. Like, I, I don't want to tell this embarrassing story about my spouse because I don't want to, that would hurt right. their feelings. And not, not that I'm worried about the retribution from them, but I'm, I'm scared to hurt them. You can easily get this with a little kid. I'm afraid to hurt them or, or, right. or let them fall off something. You could, not because you'll get in trouble, because that's scary to think about them suffering. So you can develop that same kind of fear with God, that you wouldn't want to harm the, the efforts of God.
1: Yeah, th- wreck that relationship that's working so well. Yeah. yeah, right.
0: That's that's kind of this another side of this holy fear. Great questions. Yeah, Now thank let's you. let's see if uh, the elevator pitch oh, stuff boy. came through. It's not too late unless it's already too late, and we've got our two. Let's uh, let's do our elevator pitch now. if you've never seen this before it's a spectacle (laughs) it's a side of the human experience what the the thing that leads us to do this is swedenborg has a ton of concepts and topics and areas that he covers and they can be complicated and they can sound like they're at times irrelevant and way out there so what we want to do is practice let's say we had to talk to somebody about these swedenborg concepts and let's say we had to do it clearly and quickly So let's pretend that Jonathan and I are are just stepped onto an elevator and what what, what we have to do in a minute is explain not just explain the the concept that somebody's written for us but also why it's important.
1: Why it's important. Okay and we
0: get one minute so let's.
1: Yeah and what we decided ahead of time was that we haven't seen either two of them, we haven't seen either of them, we have no idea what's in them and so as soon as we see it I'm going to decide whether I take it or field okay. it to you, right? Okay. And then yeah. I have to take the other one. That's, so that's, it's all roulette. That, that's the way we
0: okay. figure it out. All right. So elevator let's see what we got. Pitch. Okay. Good. Our first elevator pitch is as follows. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think I'll take it. Great. Okay. I'm stepping onto the elevator. I don't know anything about Swedenborg uh. stuff. <laughs> let's get going.
1: There's a biblical concept that you encounter a number of times, which is the idea that a lot of people are going to be taken out of where they were, but then there will just be a remnant that comes back. And Swedenborg sometimes says it'll be a tenth, as large as it was. You know, they're just this little remnant. And Swedenborg talks about, as we go through our lives, what this corresponds to is that there's a little remnant of your childhood still in you, 90% of it may be gone, but there's 10% that inner child is still in there. And the reason that's important is that in your childhood, you can't prevent the Lord from flowing in. You can't prevent yourself from having spiritual experiences, having contact with heaven. And so the Lord's able to create an area in you that you can't hack, and it's still in there. That remnant is still guiding things, no matter what else happens in the course of your life. And I have a few seconds left over.: uh
0: I almost cr- cracked up during that because I thought about actually somebody stepping on an elevator and you just barreling over them with all of this. Like, well, Swedenborg says in the Bible. And, oh, great. Very good description. And good. I, I, I didn't, Thank yeah, you. I w- great question. Wow. And I, the Whew. remnant. Is this such a powerful concept, especially to somebody who might feel like we were talking before about the depths of despair and there's nothing yeah. good in me right. there's nothing light in me, there's nothing valuable in me that there always is protected God and I have nothing to do with each other yeah protected regardless of anything that happens to, you, anything that you 've chosen, anything you think or do, there is an innocent, pure, um, holy uh, l- happy. Core in you that God protects, despite all the storms in life, mm. and He pulls out it when needed to remind you that life can be good and to get you to open up. It's a very cool right. Thing.
1: And actually, the way Sweetmore describes, I didn't include this on the elevator, but the,
0: <laughs> just think of it. You were on the elevator, and you, and I'm like, oh, some comment about the weather, and you're like, well, Sweetmore, <laughs> and I can just imagine myself like, well, where's my floor? So. <laughs> <right>. <laughs>
1: Swedenborg says that the the, um, remnant is actually what enables us to experience heaven, to have spiritual experience. There's various different kinds. It really paves the way for us. And it's cool that that gets done early on, you know, just like create that capacity so we cannot erase that.
0: That's awesome. Okay. So, Good. thanks All so right. much for that one. That's, no, that's I don't a know why I stuck pitch. By,
1: by taking that one. I don't know.
0: Watch the over-under on this. Okay, so as soon as this one comes on the screen, we're going to start our countdown, and I'm going to do the elevator pitch of my life to Jonathan, who's just stepped onto an elevator. That's right. And looks like he'd like to talk theology. So, <laughs> what do we got? Why should I believe Swedenborg? I say don't believe Swedenborg. But I will say, believe yourself. And how can you really say that you're taking it seriously, whether you believe or not, if you won't investigate everything, all the evidence, all the ideas? Mm. And I will put to you that without taking Swedenborg as any kind of figure worthy of reverence or any kind of supernatural, any kind of wise sage, just take the ideas that he has, try them in yourself. Try the idea of looking for heaven and hell in your own mind. Try the idea of pursuing innocence. Look at God through the way he tells you to do it. Forget that Swedenborg even exists. Mm. Sit there with those ideas. Watch the change that happens in you. Watch the leverage that that gives you. Watch the way that it that colors the way you see life in the world and watch what happens to your mood and watch mm. what happens to your, to your ability to make sense of things forget that swedenborg's even there don't take anything forget the spiritual experiences if you want just take the things you can test in the lab of your own mind what does it do for you and mm. then let me know if you feel like you want to go back and trust him more woo <laughs> like sort of an aggressive good. Uh, elevator no, pitch it was for good. that but right because it was good. Just just having it like let's trust what swedenborg said because he's swedenborg like i like swedenborg but no you can't just trust him because he's swedenborg well i
1: love the idea i love what you said there because i it it took me quite a while being around this material before i realized oh wait there's like a test version (laughs) Mm -hmm. like there's something you can do there's stuff you can try yeah you can experiment with prayer and see whether it's answered or not. Yeah. You know, there, there are things that you can try. You can try, oh, I'll have this thought, or I'll try thinking this, or I'll try imagining that this is the case. See how that works out for me. And I, I do find that very appealing because, like, the guy with the wig who lived centuries ago, like, what does it doesn't matter. And it's a kind of claim that's very hard to, well, how do I know? I wasn't yeah. there. Stockholm fire, I, I don't see know. It. I yeah. don't know. I wasn't there. I never met him, you know. Uh, but, by putting those things uh, to work seeing that they help me seeing that they explain even the weird things will explain reality or human yeah. i'll end up in meetings sometimes and i'll think wait this is just like that memorable relation yeah. you know what i mean like yeah. it explains reality to me and that's endeared me uh, to swedenborg but you're right practice first and then you know faith comes later
0: what i feel like is the strength of the, the Swedenborg material, is that it doesn't re- depend on, or there's not a load-bearing column, which is, believe in the reverence of Swedenborg. I, it's nice that he was all smart and invented all these things to do mining yeah, with. And, and that you can look him up in Wikipedia, you can find him. Or he, what, he is yeah, a real guy, and that that he knew how the world worked and all that. But it doesn't, this stuff isn't in my mind when I'm reading Swedenborg. That's not, if there's plenty of people that have great resumes that I don 't give their stuff the time of day because I start to read it and I just don 't feel like there's anything there. So I love the idea of go go find out if you like it, and some things will hit you in a certain way that the, as certain things have really hit me in a certain way, that gives me sort of this affirmative opening to even the things that I don't. Necessarily, intuitively, feel like are amazing right away. Okay, I you you have really good. I really liked you know the other movies you made. So I'll watch this one all the I'll way through. I'll watch this one right. And, That's right. And I will say, hanging out. Uh, it, I often think about whenever when I'll have some really good reading session with Swedenborg, where I'm where it makes sense, where it feels alive to me, and it's like this is. I just, it's like, I'm seeing this right in front of my face. This is obviously how ah. it works. I will sort of make a note of, okay, so I'm 34 and it's still working for me. Like how long can you be immersed in this stuff before it starts to show its age or fall apart? And so far, it's still alive. Yeah. And and I, right. you, could, me. you could say I'm already sold and died in the wood, but I have access to the internet. I'm not living in a gated community. Do you I use that interweb thing? I figured it out the other day. Good. All I'm saying is I have... Access to a lot of competing worldviews. I I could go, I, I see all the things all the time, but I still find that what ties it together, what makes the most powerful sense to me, is the Swedenborg. That's why I go and look like a fool talking about Swedenborg online, because I think it's good yeah because because the ideas are good enough to convince me to stick around yeah that's right okay there we go thanks for the those were perfect elevator pitch questions really good you guys totally challenging appreciate it and we want to hear more from you right now as we said before we had this question in the beginning we want to know how you answered it we'll get to our ice melter Let's get right to it. We got a lot of responses, as we always do, because you guys are awesome. The question was, how do you tell the difference between heavenly and hellish influence in your minds? Mm. And the answer was this. By how it feels in my heart. Mm. That's so true. Sometimes it just, like, the difference between touching uh, plastic and touching sand, you can just tell the difference. Yeah, right. Hellish influences always have fear underpinning them. Mm. Absolutely. I can't. That's the reason I watch the show and go to church. As we're saying, sometimes I like you that. can't, yep. I like that. When hell is trying to influence my mind, I feel so full of fear and doubt and guilt and feel sick. Mm. The more heavenly my mind gets, the more freedom I feel.
1: Mm. Love that. One lifts you, the other weighs you down. One leads to good, the other to trouble. So what are your results, right? Yeah, so watching how that plays out. That's a very uh, I really think that's a, that's a great one. How can I tell the difference is if it is a bad or good thing, Will it hurt anyone? Et cetera. Just the goodness in it. I try to look out for the selfish thoughts. I know they're coming from a bad place. Content. Selfishness. Content. That's right. The hellish influence has influence on things which do with earthly or now things, while heavenly influence
0: has patience. That's like you were saying in the beginning. Yeah. Mm. Hellish thoughts for me are when a thought is completely not valuable in my relationship with others. (laughs) Nice. It does destroy human connection. I can tell a heavenly influence in my mind because the guidance is gentle and loving and patient. A hellish influence wants me to be impatient and harsh and demanding on Mm. my mind. Nice. The thoughts from hell are judgmental, while the heavenly thoughts are from a place of unconditional acceptance.
1: Nice. Nice. When I feel judgmental and irritated, I suspect hell is sending its influence. When I feel peaceful and full of joy, heaven is coming through. When I start thinking bad thoughts and choices, I know it's from an evil spirit or demon. When I feel doubtful and negative, I know without a doubt, a demon is trying to influence my mind. And hellish influence would be selfish, egotistical worries, while heaven's influence feels like the bigger picture, wider perspective. I like that. Yeah. A perspective shift, too. It's selfless to a degree.
0: Hellish influences can sneak up in my emotional reaction to a situation. So true. At those times, I find that I have to quiet my mind for what I hope is heavenly influence to come to the fore. If I let my thoughts go, they end up into hell. Mm. If I work to not let my thoughts go, I can hold on to good feelings. Yeah. I, f- I had a dream once that was sort of to that effect, that unless I was trying, it was always going to go It to just going to go downhill. Hell is when you're just plain miserable and your thoughts cannot be at peace. Heaven is all love and peace and works for your good. Mm. I look at it if it's based on love or fear. Very nice. There's a a little plug for how do you know if Swedenborg is true? Because we could ask this, and granted, this is an audience that's interested in Swedenborg in the first place, but a lot of you, I would assume, just found Swedenborg in the last couple of years. We could ask a question. We Swedenborg is asserting that heaven and hell are influencing the mind and gives sort of a description of what each one is. I could throw that out to you all and say, what's it like heaven and hell in your mind? And you could all sort of say, "That not that's not really my that mental has experience. No rea- I, d- I don't
1: know what you're talking about. I don't really I
0: connect mean. with I don't it. You, you couldn't fit psychology into those boxes. That doesn't make any sense. But instead, we have five pages of people <laughs> giving these nuanced, detailed reports. That's right of how that dynamic does seem to show up in the mind and explain the You're mind.
1: using words like love and joy and fear and peace and exactly. self-centeredness.
0: Exactly, yeah. Yeah, right. nobody's going to quote Swedenborg. You're talking about what it's like in your own mind. That's the power. That's why I'm hanging out doing Swedenborg stuff because I read That's the right. stuff, it's over there in some book, and then I see it in the mind and I say, <laughs> oh yeah, we're tapping into the reality of it, probably. I think, I hope, anyway. That's the end of our show. Well done, everybody. Yeah, great job, everybody. And uh, we hope you'll keep hanging out with us, watching the things we do. We're so glad you joined us here. Hey, if you're not busy on Thursday or anytime after, check out our new series, News from Heaven, is a show where I go and do the thing I was just all blabbering about, read Swedenborg. That's right. Draw on it, think about it, dissect it, try to get it to the point where That's it becomes so awesome. sort of weapons-grade truth that will help change the mind and life. That's the right. Complete with diagrams, circling, oh, colors, all kinds of good stuff. artistic value like you wouldn't believe. Oh, incredible. That's news from heaven. You can already check out some episodes on our channel. We'll be back with Swedenborg and Life Live next Monday. I oh, am. Yeah. Where we go to the next part of our mm, description of everything. could be next? What is it? You tell me.
1: It is what Swedenborg called the four doctrines, which mean four different sets of teachings that he saw as pillars. It's about the Lord, sacred scripture, life,
0: and faith. And That's going to be cool. That just little short books he put out, but that those are the four legs on which stand the stool of Swedenborg's theology. That's right. So, who wouldn't want to do that? Go talk about doctrine and theology. Okay, hey, did you enjoy the show? Did you not like before? Hit like now, that would really help us out. So if you're not already subscribed, subscribe. And if you already subscribed, click that thing and make sure the little notification bell is clicked. Because yeah. otherwise, we could be publishing some really good videos and you would never know. And if if you wanna Yeah,
1: now that we're publishing more more frequently, right? You've got to keep up. How would you know? That's right. You never
0: know. And uh, if you want to, we're a nonprofit, so the only way we keep going is if you all decide you want to support what we do financially, check us out on Patreon. That's a place you can donate a monthly amount, and we give you a little behind-the-scenes kind of stuff as a thank you. We appreciate everyone who's on there and who's making this thing go. Thank you for feeling like what we're doing is worth supporting. Thanks for everyone's support through everything that you do, mainly through your watching and your liking and your subscribing and your commenting. The participation. There could be easily no market for the Swedenborg track. Right. But here we are getting to talk through it all with you and we love doing it. So hopefully we'll see you mm. not just next week, but on Thursday and everywhere in between, but also next week. Thanks Jonathan Rose for hanging out. Thanks Curtis, it was great fun. See y'all, have a great time. Swedenborg and Life Live is Curtis Childs, host and showrunner, with co-host Jonathan Rose. Livestream tech and graphics by Stuart Farmer and Matthew Childs. Show writing and chat moderation by Karin Childs and Chelsea Odner.